Let's go ahead and pray for the word, and then we'll do a little background on 2 Peter, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, we want to leave here knowing you better, because to know you better is to love you more. Lord, comfort us, exhort us, equip us, rebuke us if necessary, draw us back unto yourself. I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So this morning, we begin to look at the second book of Peter, the second letter that Peter has written to the church, the early church. This was not written to a specific church or specific city like Ephesus or Colossae, but this was actually written to all the first century believers. Between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, some time has gone by, at least a few years, maybe a few more than that. And while, again, the author is the same and the audience is largely the same, the theme and the purpose of this letter is different. Because 1 Peter dealt with Christians' response to persecution from unbelievers on the outside. So how do we live as believers when we're being persecuted by the world, we're going through trials and difficulty from the world? So the entire letter was encouraging those who'd had to run for their lives, who were facing great persecution from the world, who knew they could be arrested and could be you know, fed to lions and those things that were taking place under Caesar Nero. And so he was exhorting them on how to live, and he told them it's for but a little while, and he encouraged them, again, to remain faithful to the Lord. Now, 2 Peter deals with the Christian response, not from the uh, persecution from the outside, but from the false teachers on the inside. See, because if the enemy can't attack us from the outside, he'll attack us from within. And we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And the, the only way that we're going to recognize the lie is if we know the truth. So we want to study the truth. We want to read the truth. And you should hold me accountable. That's why you should have a Bible in your hand every Sunday and every Thursday. And every time you're at the men's study or the women's study or the young adult Bible study or whatever Bible study you're going to here to make sure that we're not making this up. Amen? Hold us accountable to the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So our persecution is indeed hard to bear, but inward corruption is often the more damaging of the two. And while persecution from the outside can be both painful and frightening, it's easy to recognize. While sometimes inward corruption, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they'll come in and they'll, they'll teach a false gospel. They'll draw people away from the truth. They may come knocking at your door and telling you that, that they're believers in Jesus Christ, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Just because they use the name Jesus, just because they talk about heaven or our heavenly father, or they'll even talk about the cross of Calvary. They'll talk about his shed blood on Calvary, but they're not talking about the same Jesus of the word of God. And that's why we need to study the whole counsel of God. While inward corruption masks itself as truth, it can be difficult for many to discern and reason why we have so many cults today. Many claim to be Christian, but indeed are peddling doctrine that contradicts the Bible, as I just said. One of the main encouragements in 1 Peter, again, was, again, the outward persecution, to have an eternal focus, to live every day in light of eternity, in anticipation that you're going to stand before the Lord. When was the last time you thought about that? There's a day coming when you're going to stand before Almighty God on your own, each and every one of us. We will stand before him, and you can't blame it on your spouse, amen? You can't blame it on the world. 
You can't point to anybody else. God created you to have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Have you been born again? Do you walk in intimate fellowship with him? Do you know about him or do you know him? And that's the exhortation for all of us. Christian's response to persecution was to look up, to have a heavenly focus, to live in light of eternity. Guys, when we have a heavenly focus, we don't walk in fear. We don't walk in anxiety. We don't walk around worried. We don't walk around worried about what's going on in the world around us. Why? Because this is not our home. Heaven is our home. Amen? This, this is for but a little while. This is a short amount of time. We want to be busy about the, the work of God and, the, and be faithful to the word of God while we're here, knowing that soon and very soon, we're going to see the king, amen? Now in 2 Peter, he's going to address how to recognize, not only recognize false teachers who are in the body, but how to counteract their teaching. How do we do that? How do we respond to false teaching? Again, the heavenly focus in chapter, in the first letter, but now it's know the truth and continue to grow in faith and spiritual maturity. And the best way, again, to recognize the lie is to know the truth. The number one reason that so many fall for the lies and manipulation of false teachers that have snuck into the, tr- into the churches is because most Christians, most people who call themselves Christians in America are biblically illiterate. They don't read their Bibles. The Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. Can you imagine if you opened your Bible as much as you opened your fridge? We'd be spiritual giants and we'd be weighing less, amen? We spent more time in the Word of God. And you know what? We struggle in life because we'll, we'll, we'll question God, we'll doubt God. Why isn't God speaking to me? He wants to speak to you. Next time you want to hear God speak to you out loud, open your Bible and read it out loud. He wants to speak to us. You're only you're as close to God as you want to be. Amen? Amen. Again, people fall for the lie because they don't know the truth. And we're to remain faithful in the face of not only outward persecution, but inward corruption. We must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, to know Him better is to love Him more. You know, the more we get to know the Lord, that's my heart every Sunday, every Thursday. My prayer is that you leave here having been fed spiritually, and because you know Him better, you're going to leave here loving Him more. And that should be our heart. We must not only come to know the truth, but be empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in the truth. See, it's not enough to to know the speed limit. We got to drive it. Amen? It's not enough to know what the Word of God says. We need to apply it to our lives. If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? Because we need to leave here having been impacted by the Word of God that changes the way that we live our lives every single day. I truly believe that a false teacher will not stumble a spirit-filled believer who knows the truth of God's word. I will talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere about any doctrine they want to talk to, knowing I am not afraid of being stumbled by them. Why? Because I know what the word of God says. I know the word of God. Because I know the word of God, I know that God will give me the strength to stay faithful to it. So now, it's been about two years, as I said. It's about 66 AD, not long before Peter is to be put to death. Caesar Nero's persecution of Christians is now has been accelerated. It is now in full swing. It's become an all-out war against Christians. Believers are being tortured and killed. In the midst of this incredible persecution, just 33 years uh, since Jesus' death, burial and resurrection and ascension, the attack expands in a whole new front because, again, it starts to come from within the church. It was a dangerous time to be a Christian 
and even more so a dangerous time to be a Christian leader. Because if, you're, if Christians are being fed to lions, then they're certainly going to go after those who are leaders within the church. And so they were facing great persecution from the outside. And then there is a, always a temptation to water down the message or not to preach it so boldly because you don't want to be noticed. Because if you're noticed, you might be fed to lions or you might be thrown in prison or your family might be taken away from you. And so what happens is because the, it was not for the faint of heart to be somebody who stood before God's people and proclaimed the truth with boldness. Because if I do, I might be thrown in prison. And that was a real thing. And I've said this repeatedly. If you came here, if you knew coming here next Sunday meant you might be fed to lions, I think we'd have a lot more people watching on live stream. Amen. And someone's at least a, a, amen in that, amen? <laughs> but there's a reality that, that, you know, again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And we find out where we really stand when our faith is being put to the test. When, when there's a, an op, if I stand for God, it may cost me something. And no suffering is wasted. And we serve a faithful God. And he hung on a cross for us. We ought to be willing to stand up for him no matter what the outcome may be. Amen? Amen. And to, not be to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter writes this. This is the last thing he's going to write. His time is short. He wants to encourage the church. He would soon be crucified, as our Savior was. This is according to Christian tradition. And he refused to be crucified because he didn't want not to be made in any way comparable to the Lord's. He, he asked them to crucify him upside down. And that's what Christian tradition teaches us. So here he is at the end of his life, knowing that these are the final words of this mighty man of God. You know, one of Jesus' three, Peter, James, and John, again, sinners saved by grace like the rest of us, a man who certainly knew what it was like to deny the Lord and to fail miserably in his walk and then be filled with the Holy Spirit and be used mightily by God. And that was a transformation in his life, and that's what transforms us. If we walk in the flesh, we will fail miserably, and we can be used mightily by God if we walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's the exhortation. These words should carry some added weight produce a deepened sense of relevance. So the three chapters, just let me give you a quick overview of the text, of the book itself, the letter itself, then we'll dig into the text. So there's three things we're going to see. First, the cultivation of Christian character. That's in chapter one. He's going to talk about how we grow in our relationship with the Lord, why we believe what we believe. Then he's going to condemn false teachers in chapter two, and then give us confidence of Christ's return in chapter three. So we're going to see pro true prophecy, then false prophets, and then prophecy that Jesus Christ is coming back. If you have your outline, uh, grab it. Tell the message, the pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition. How do we have peace? Peace has nothing to do with the absence of war. It has everything to do with the right standing with Almighty God. You can be at peace in the midst of the worst situation in the world if you're walking with the Lord, and you will have no peace on a cruise ship where everything's perfect if you don't have the Lord. Without the Prince of Peace, there is no peace. Amen? So we're only going to look at four verses this morning. We will be pre preparing for communion as well. And here are the four points. The pathway to peace in face of overwhelming opposition. Number one, precious faith. You know, there's nothing more precious than faith. We all have faith in common, but the faith that we have is far from common. Amen? Amen? 
We all have faith in common. That's what draws us all together. It's not faith in faith, it's faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. People use the word faith a lot. Faith is only as valuable as the thing we put our faith in or the person we put our faith in. I don't put my faith in my bank account. If you do, that can be wiped out. If you put your faith in your own health, it's going to fail one day. If you put your faith in anything that you can lose, then you're in trouble. But we put our faith in Jesus Christ, amen, and in him alone. Again, they all had the same faith. He's going to talk about how we all have faith in common. And I love this coming from Peter, right? He's being used mightily by the Lord, and he's talking to this crowd of Christians. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles. They have different backgrounds. Some have been running for their lives. And here's where we all meet. Here's what we all have in common. We all come together at the foot of the cross. It's there that we all have common ground. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter how wealthy we may be or how we maybe not be so wealthy, what kind of job we have, how educated we are, uneducated we are, what our culture is, what our parents were like. None of that matters. Ultimately, we all come together at the foot of the cross. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? It's only by the precious blood of Jesus. Our faith has been obtained, we'll see not by our efforts, but by the righteousness of God. It's not faith in faith, but faith in Christ. So point number one will be precious faith. Point number two will be pursuing intimate fellowship with God. How in the world do we live lives of grace and peace, no matter what's going on around us? By having a deeper knowledge of God. Again, to know Him is to love Him. To know Him better is to love Him more. And and God God must be uh, beyond faith. We must go beyond faith in the mere existence of God, to walking in intimate fellowship with God. The demons believe and tremble. Believing there is a God is not enough. I believe there's a God. Well, so does the devil. So do the demons. Believing in God is different than having a relationship with God. Amen? People will tell you all the time, as soon as they find out you're a pastor, I believe in God. Well, the demons do too. What's your relationship like with them? Tell me about your devotions this morning. What kind of prayer life do you have? I mean, because you know what? When we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, the reason that we're going to enter in is because we have a relationship with the one who paid the price on the cross of Calvary. Amen? So it's not knowing about him, it's knowing him and walking in intimate fellowship with him, pursuing intimate fellowship with God. That should be the the goal of every day. I want to wake up and know him better and love him more than I did yesterday. And that's going to come through the word of God and in time and prayer. Number three, the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. Holy Spirit can be with you, in you, or upon you. We want to be baptized with, filled with the Holy Spirit. As my dad used to say, call it what you want to call it. Just get it. Amen. We want to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, less of us and more of him, that we can live lives sold out and set apart for the Lord, that we can live life in faithful obedience to his word. That's impossible without the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then lastly, trusting in his precious promises. I don't know if this is accurate or not. I read that there's as many as 30,000 promises from God in the Bible. I've never counted to 30,000 in my life. So, but the reality is there are certainly a, a huge number of promises in the word of God. And here's the good news. We can trust them all. He's a faithful God. So let's begin there in 2 Peter Pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition, beginning by looking at our precious faith. It says there, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. As we know with each letter, they would begin with the the part where we usually put at the end of the letter. I know I mention this every time, but it bears repeating. 
They wrote on scrolls typically, so they would begin the letter with who wrote the letter. Now, I love this. This letter begins, and again, uh, note he uses the name Simon here, Simon Peter, because Simon was his name before he met Jesus, and Jesus was one who gave him the name Peter. And this is where some people have messed everything up because they misinterpret the verse when Jesus says to Peter, who makes a proclamation of who he is, he basically says, you know, that God has revealed this to you. And he says, I am, you know, speaking of himself, I am the Petra and you are Petros, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock the church is built on is not Peter, it's Jesus. Okay. So we don't build foundations on Mary or Peter. God, praise God for Mary. Praise God for Peter. Praise God for all the saints. But by the way, you know that you're saints too. You're either a saint or an ain't. Amen. You're either born again or you haven't. And a saint is someone who's born again. You're a set apart one unto the Lord. And we don't want statues of anybody in here. Amen. We're not doing that. Okay. That's not, that's contrary to it, but that's where he got his name. Petros. Peter, it's literally like chip off the old block, okay? I am the rock, and you're a chip off the old block. And, you know, praise God, that's the rock I want to be chipped off of. How about you? So that's a wonderful thing. But Simon is who he was before he knew Christ. And I love that when I see these men, mighty men of God, at the end of their life, they tend to grow more and more humble. Because the closer we get to the Lord, the more humble we ought to be. Remember, Paul, early on, when he described himself, he described himself as the least of the apostles. And then at the end of his life, he described himself as the chief of sinners. See, the closer we get to the Lord, the more humble we ought to be. And it's nauseating to God, and it's nauseating to all of us when we see somebody who thinks that they know God so well that they become arrogant in their faith. If you're arrogant about your faith, you've missed it completely. Amen? Self-righteous, arrogant. Well, you know, I'm anointed. If you have to tell me you're anointed, you're not. Can I get an amen to that? But here's Peter, and he says, Simon Peter. Simon's who I was. Peter's who I am in Christ. I remember how I failed him miserably. I remember who I was before I met him. We must never lose sight of who we once were, but know that we're not that person anymore because we're new creations in Christ. And praise God for it, Amen. I'm so thankful. Simon Peter, a bondservant, you've heard me describe it. Every time it's in the Bible, I'm going to describe it again. Why is that? Because if it's in the Bible more than once, we need to hear it more than once. Amen? Bondservant is, again, Peter close to closing again, closing close to his death. He's going to be martyred very soon after writing this letter, in a short amount of time. And notice he doesn't describe himself as the most holy potentate. Amen? Didn't have anybody kissing his ring and wasn't wearing a pointy hat. Wasn't doing any of that, amen? What does he describe himself as? A bondservant. Now look, I'm only saying all this because we, he's going to be warning them in coming chapters about false teaching. And false teaching is anything that magnifies anybody other than Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the way, the truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And we don't touch the glory, Amen? We don't magnify men. We don't praise men. We don't worship men. We don't pray to men. We don't pray to Mary. Amen? We pray to Jesus. 
We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He is our intercessor, him and him alone. And Peter doesn't say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm one of the three. I'm the guy that walked on water for a second. Amen? <laughs> right? I'm the one that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm the one, you know, I led 3,000 people to the Lord in one day. We don't hear any of that. Because he didn't do any of that apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So God gets the glory. And so what does he say? I'm a bondservant. Now, you've heard me talk about this. The word is doulos. And it literally means a slave by choice. What has happened is when people owed a debt, they would be indentured servants until the debt was paid. And when the debt was paid, they were set free. But if someone, once the debt was paid, wanted to remain with that family, what would they do? They would come to their master and say, I know my debt is paid and I, I know that I'm free to go, but I don't want to go. I want to remain with you forever. I want you to be my master forever. You know, who, you know for us, who else has the words of eternal life? Where else am I going to go? I want to stay with you. And they would be brought down to the city square, the gate of the city. And there they would drive an awl through their ear, nail it to the, to the post, if you will, and then put an earring in their ear that would be a reminder 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of their life that they belong by choice to their master. Once bound by law, now bound by love. And that's what a bond servant is where I've surrendered my life fully to you, Lord, of my own free will, and I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to serve anyone else. You're my master. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my King forever. That's a doulos. And that's how he describes himself. A doulos, a bondservant. And again, praise God. Again, for the humility and the love and the grace. And I just love that picture that we see here, bound by love, not by law. I would just ask you, are you a doulos this morning? You surrendered your life fully to the Lord? I love the humility. He had learned a lesson. He once argued with, with immaturity of who was the greatest. Remember that? Knuckleheads before Pentecost, this was the apostles. This is the apostles, not the B-apostles, the apostles. And they're arguing over who's greatest. Can you imagine? They've been hanging out with Jesus and they're arguing who's greatest. None of you. But I guarantee you, Peter's in that conversation. I was on Mount Transfiguration. Where were you? I walked on water for a second. Where were you? Right? And the mentality that can come, and we, because sometimes even in Christianity, we'll compare ourselves to other Christians, and we can sometimes get puffed up if we look at somebody else that we feel is struggling more than we may be. But here's the reality we don't compare ourselves to Christians, we compare ourselves to Christ. And how are we doing? We need Him desperately. Amen? And we're born again, and praise God for it. He's redeemed us, He's forgiven us. So I just love this heart. He once, once went from who's the greatest among us to now I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave of Jesus. We should be leery of anyone who seeks to promote themselves. And again, spiritual maturity is revealed in a humble heart of one who seeks only to serve. But notice he does say, and an apostle, and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, why does he say that? To show that this letter is coming from the authority of the Lord. This isn't just Peter's opinion. This is the word of God. Amen? So he's not saying it to puff himself up. 
but to show that the word, this is the word of God. And you know, I, I shared this with you years back. I went to a Bible study with my brother-in-law who was kind of looking for the Lord. This was many years ago. And I, I said, you know, we've been praying for his salvation. So I went with him, and the guy in this Lutheran church opened up the booklet and said, well, we're going to look at Ephesians. This is just Peter's opinion, and we can take it. Well, what? Everybody put their Bibles down. They're reading through this thing, and I'm... I was in my 20s. I raised my hand. You really believe that? You think it's Peter's opinion, Paul's opinion? You're going to stand before Almighty God on, on Judgment Day for that. You're the pastor here? Well, it's the book that they sent me. I don't, I don't care. What does the Bible say? Can I get an amen to that? Here's the reality, guys. See, that's why I get there's apostolic authority. Apostle is one sent by God. Okay? Called by God and sent by God. Now, we know that God wrote the book. He just held the pen, amen? But he was an apostle used by the Lord, and so it is coming with authority. It is not Paul, Peter's opinion. It's the word of God given by one sent by God, amen? Peter's commissioned by Jesus Christ to preach, to impart truth, and these words were in no way meant to glorify Peter, but again, speak of his authority that he has in writing this letter. This letter is the very Word of God. Now we know who wrote it. It's written by Peter, bondservant, apostle, called by God. Again, when this letter comes to the church that's facing persecution, no doubt when they see who it's from, they're encouraged. They were, the first letter encouraged them to be faithful in the midst of persecution, and now he's going to encourage them to be faithful in the midst of uh, false teachers on the inside. Here's what he says. To those of you who have, who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. First of all, he uses the word here, again, not written to a specific church, but to all believers in the early church, have obtained like precious faith. The word obtained there is received. He initiates, we respond. Amen? You've heard me say this. Salvation is offered universally it must be accepted individually. He gets all the praise and all the glory. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by his great grace. But he offers us salvation. He initiates. He draws us by his Holy Spirit. But he will not force salvation upon you. But he offers it freely to you. Okay? Offered universally, accepted individually. So he's writing this letter to those who have obtained or received the same precious faith that Peter has. I'm writing this letter to those of you who, just like me, surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, who, just like me, uh, received the grace of God and the mercy of God and the work of the cross of Calvary, and your life has been transformed. Notice again, Peter puts himself on common ground. We've received like faith. That same faith that I have is the same faith that you have. See, none of us here is, is here and here when it comes to our walk with the Lord. Amen? Now look, you may be more spiritually mature. You may have different gifts, but we're all sinners saved by grace. We're just one beggar leaving another beggar to the bread. Amen? That's all of us. We're all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. It's equal. It's the same. But notice how he describes the faith. It's precious. It speaks of its value. The word precious was used to describe foreigners who asked for and received equal citizenship in a new country. They would come into the country and they would ask for the 
precious blessing of citizenship, and they viewed it as such a great value that they got to become citizens of this new place. Well, that's what we've become. We're citizens of heaven. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we're alive in new creations in Christ. And guys, it doesn't get any more precious than that. While they all had faith in common, the faith they had was far from common. We each received the same incredible, valuable faith. All men and women were all saved the same way. We're all saved the same way. None of you is closer to salvation than anyone else. Amen? Well, that guy's so close to being saved. Really? He's still a sinner. Amen? He's so close though. Really? So the saddest, some of the saddest words in the Bible is where uh, Paul is preaching and the king says, you almost persuade me. That word almost is being thought about for eternity burning in hell. Amen? Amen? Almost. We're all sinners. We all need to be saved if we haven't been already. Amen? And we all come the same way. Not through good works, not through church membership, not through trying harder, not through giving to charity, not by being better than other people. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? We don't compare ourselves to other people. We all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ the same way. The Holy Spirit draws us. We recognize who Jesus is. We recognize that we're sinners. We repent and turn from our sin, and we surrender our lives to the Lord. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. And we say, Lord, I'm ready to surrender my life to you. No longer am I going to be on the throne of my life. You're on the throne. You're not just my Savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. And because of what he did on the cross of Calvary, because Friday came and then Sunday was coming, because Jesus died on the cross and then he proved himself to be God and he rose from the dead, it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary that we all were saved. Amen? There's no other way. There's no other path. Jesus Christ alone. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Him. We might all have unique callings, but we have a common salvation. Through our precious faith, again, the word precious promises by the precious blood of our precious Lord and Savior. Then he says there, Faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith was obtained to receive, not by efforts of men, by the righteousness of God. Now, and by the way, every time these guys knock on your door and say that Jesus never claimed to be God, first of all, they don't read their Bible. But here's another verse, because look what it says. By the righteousness of our God and what? Jesus Christ. Right here, he's being called God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? There are hundreds upon hundreds of verses that point this out. Clearly, here's another one. Our faith was obtained not by efforts. It says in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We should never be arrogant about being saved. Why would you be arrogant that somebody you know, came alongside the, the sinking ship and, and pulled you out of the ship and put you in a raft and, and took you to shore. You had nothing to do with that. Be thankful to the one who saved you. Amen? And it's the same with the Lord. We give Him all the praise. It's a free gift that came at a great price. 
a free gift to us that cost our Savior everything. It's by grace, the undeserved favor poured out upon us by Almighty God. He said, notice it says through faith, belief and assurance, reliance upon. Faith only is good, again, as the object we place our faith in. Right? People say all the time, well, I have faith, or I'm spiritual. It's such a California word, isn't it? <laughs> I'm totally spiritual, man, I'm spiritual. <laughs> what? What does that mean? I just, you know, I just, I'm a spiritual person. And? Help me out here. What else? Here's the bottom line. Where are you at with Jesus? What have you done with God's son? Amen? It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. What matters is, do you have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty God, the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful, creator of all things? Amen? That's who we have a relationship with. That's when I talk to people, I don't like to use the word God because God can mean anything. I talk about Jesus because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. It's not just faith in faith. Got to have faith. Faith in what? I have faith. Faith in what? I love to ask that question. A lot of times they're dumbfounded. Oh, I have faith. In what? In who? Well, I just have faith. That means nothing. Amen? We're saved by his righteousness, not our good works. Only a righteous sacrifice could redeem sinful man. Muhammad did not die on the cross for you, and even if he did, it would have meant nothing because he was a wicked, vile sinner. Amen? Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Joseph Smith, Mormon church, dead. Charles Taze Russell, Joe was dead. Dead, 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 dead. Jesus Christ, risen and living Savior, triumphed over sin and death. Amen? We don't serve dead, false prophets. We serve a true and living God. Amen? Easter's coming. Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. Amen? You don't have that. Islam doesn't have that. Do we love the Muslims? What's the answer? We want to see them saved. Of course we do. I have Muslim friends. I want to see them saved. We talk about the Lord all the time. I want to see them saved. Muhammad's a false prophet. How did a guy send me a text the other day? How, how do you know? He's Mormon. How do you know there's only Show me where the Bible says there can only be 66 books. I said, all I have to show you is that the book you read has nothing to do with the Bible and contradicts the Bible, so we don't have to worry about how many books there are, just that your book is a lie. <laughs> Jesus and Satan are not brothers. The God of our planet wasn't a God in another planet that became a, was a man in another planet that became a good man. It's got to be God of our planet. No. And you're not going to be God either. No. And Joseph Smith's a false prophet. Yes. So there we go. But here's the point. The point is, guys, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we know who we have our faith in. Jesus Christ. And the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Why only Jesus? Look what it says. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He alone is God. No gods before him, beside him, or after him. Amen? There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Amen? So there's one God, one truth, one hope. It's Jesus. Now you know why they're going to teach you four verses today. <laughs> See, Jesus is not only our Savior, he is God. See, the others will say, well, yeah, I believe he's my Savior. Is he God? Is he a creator of all things? Are there any other gods beside him? Well, uh, well. That's what we, that's what we, we lose. 
I had the last Mormons that came to my house said, I, well, I came here to preach to you. I said, well, you came to the wrong house. <laughs> well, you just need to pray about whether or not the Book of Mormon is real. No, I don't. I don't have to do that because I already know the truth. I don't have to pray about whether my wife is my wife. She's my wife. I know that. And I'm married to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Right? We're the bride of Christ. That's the exhortation. That's the encouragement. God alone is perfect, holy, and righteous. We were all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Our sin separated us. Because of our sin, we cannot redeem ourselves. You can't be good enough. Hear me say it all the time. You can't be so bad that you're beyond salvation, or you can't be so good that you don't need salvation. We all need to be saved. And no one's beyond salvation. The sacrifice must be perfect. God alone is perfect. He alone redeemed us. Jesus is our God and our Savior. He's not a created man. He's, again, not a created man. He's holy and perfect. He created man. Man sinned, broke fellowship with God. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, took our punishment to restore us back into himself that we could be holy. How precious is that? How precious is that? The word precious means invaluable, an only way of sinful man to be redeemed. Common in that it is common to all men. It's common and precious at the same time. Rarely do you see those words together, common and precious. What makes something precious is it's uncommon. But we have a common salvation through a precious Savior, amen? And a precious faith that we have in Him. Man, God is good, isn't He? Bible's good stuff. So point number one, precious faith. Point number two, Pursuing intimate fellowship with God. Look what he says here. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace, common greetings. We talked about this often. Charis and shalom. One is a Greek greeting one for Gen- from Gentiles. One is a Jewish greeting. And grace and peace, uh, again, have a, have a day filled with unmerited favor. And peace, Greek translation of that word here uh, throughout Scripture, and it's always in that order. It's grace and then peace, because without grace, we will never have peace. You can't have the peace, can't have peace with God without the grace of God ruling and reigning in your life, amen? Having been poured out upon you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So grace and peace throughout Scripture, again, always in that order. And peace in our relationship with God can never come through good works. It always comes through God's grace. It says, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. The word multiplied there is where you get the word plethora. So in Greek, and so what it literally means is that your knowledge of God just continues to to be multiplied. It continues to grow. There's nothing sadder than a lukewarm Christian who just kind of is on the cruise ship doing nothing. Coming to church on Sunday and then going and living like the world all week is not going to impact eternity. Amen? We come around Sunday to be refueled and refilled and blessed and encouraged and strengthened to use the gifts God's given us and then to go back out into the world to minister to the world so we come back and land on the battleship next week to get refueled again to go out and do it again. Amen? And so we want to grow in our knowledge of the Lord and our, our understanding of who He is. Sometimes I love the Lord so much, I just want to jump up and down. Amen? You know what I mean? I scare people in my car. I crank my Christian music pretty loud. And and the song that I'm playing on repeat right now is the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Phil Wickham, 
And it's so loud. I, I pulled up the stoplight this morning. And the guy looked at me like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Going to heaven. Amen. <laughs> we should be excited about that. Amen. But the word being filled with, Peter's saying, I want you to have a plethora of grace and peace. I want it to be just pouring out of you. So how could they be filled with grace and peace even as they were facing outward persecution and inward false teachers by having a deeper knowledge of God? See, when we know who God is and we know his character and we trust him, we can endure anything because God's in control and God is faithful and we trust him. And as Job said, I won't just praise him in times of blessing, but I'm going to praise him in times of adversity. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Amen? If you, really, if you truly know the Lord, if you're hanging on to him, the valley, the shadow of death, you're hanging on to him with both hands. He will never leave you. The word knowledge there is nosos. It's a word used at least 18 times in this letter. And it means to know by experience. So the knowledge of God is you don't know about him, but you know him. When I was a youth pastor, I used this analogy. I've used it here before. I used to say, look, I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I know that he won, you know, six NBA titles. I know that he went to North Carolina. I know he tried to play baseball. I mean, I know about him. But if I got in an elevator with Michael Jordan, he didn't know me from a load of hay, as my dad used to say. <laughs> he didn't know me. I know about him, but I don't know him. A lot of people know about Jesus. Oh, I know he wrote a best-selling book. Can I get him into that? I, I know that we celebrate his birthday on Christmas. I know, I know that, you know, Easter's when he rose. And they know about Jesus, but they don't know him. And I used to say to some of my youth group kids, is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you wake up thinking about him? Do you spend your time day with him? Do you, do, do you know him? Do you have intimate fellowship with him? Or do you just know who he is? He's like Abraham Lincoln to you. You know about him. Never met Abe. I think he's in heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Can I get an amen? But the point is, is guys, we got to go beyond knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Walking in intimate fellowship with Jesus. Having that relationship with the Lord. And by the way, when you know him that well, you're not afraid to tell other people about him. Can't help it. You love introducing people you love to other people. Love introducing my family to other people because I love my family. I love introducing people to Jesus. Amen. That's the exhortation here, to growing that knowledge of him, the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, not just about him, not what others may say about him. See, I don't care what other people say about him that don't know him because they don't know him. Well, Jesus did this and I did that. Bro, you don't know him. I know him. He's my homie. Can I get an amen? And as a youth pastor, you said, my homie's this, my homie's that. I said, my homie created your homie. How about that? <laughs> Amen. I have an intimate relationship with the Lord. I walk in fellowship with him. He's my best friend. I'm unashamed of him. The world has no peace because they have no real knowledge of God. He says you're going to grow in grace and peace because you have a knowledge of our Savior. The more you know our Savior, the more peace you're going to have. You're not going to worry about COVID. You're not going to worry about the government. I mean, we, we should vote. We should do all those things. We should be faithful to do all those things. But guys, whoever's in the White House, God's still on the throne. And he's still faithful, no matter what. Amen? And we should be excited about that. Jump around. Amen? 
key intimate fellowship with, with Jesus. Oh, this, I, we should know God. We should be zealous for him. We know the Lord. We know the Lord. We're born again. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're citizens of heaven. And then we walk around. Christians look like they've been sucking on lemons. That's what's up. Complaining, murmuring. Gosh, it's six bucks a gallon. Going to heaven. Amen? Not that worried about it. Heaven's better. God is good. Amen? Point number three. Power of the Holy Spirit upon us. Look what it says here. Of his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Amen, amen, and amen. Look what it says there. I love it. The word power there is dunamis. It's in Acts chapter 2, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So in Acts 1.8 says that, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him in chapter 2. The word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And so when we give our lives to the Lord, there's a transforming power, a work that he does in us that he now can do through us. It turns Peter who cusses and says he doesn't know God when a teenage girl says, you're one of Jesus' followers, and now filled with the Holy Spirit, comes back and preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved in a single day. What happened to Peter? Dunamis. Power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I'm going to start getting Pentecostal up in here in a minute. But here's the reality. The context, in the midst of great trials and persecution, it's easy to feel overwhelmed if we're not careful. To become fearful, to become anxious, to become angry, to become bitter, to become depressed. Peter exhorts and encourages these early Christians with words we need to be reminded of today. Again, it's peace that comes from him in the midst of difficulty. It's not a pill, a program, a seminar, a self-help book that we need. Our source for peace and perseverance, even joy in the face of persecution, is knowing the Lord and walking in the fullness and the power of his Holy Spirit. There's the answer. That's it. David enters the camp. Goliath, 40 days and 40 nights coming down. Defy the army, you know. Saul has already been told the kingdom's ripped from him, so he's hiding. David comes in delivering cheese to his brothers after watching sheep. Teenage boy, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? See, when David showed up in the camp, the Holy Spirit entered the camp. Everything changed. Teenage boy went out with a rock and the Almighty God on his side. He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a mere man. He saw a mere man against Almighty God. And our God is only small. Our problems are only great if our God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. So our problems are not great. Our, our, our problems are small. Because we serve a great God. The enemy is small. He's defeated. He's been whipped. I've read the end of the book. God wins. Amen. And so we should walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered by him, knowing that God is victorious. One will chase a thousand. Why? Because you plus God is a majority. Notice it talks about his divine power. How can we have grace and peace? Even Because his divine power, his power, the power of Christ. We're not Jesus, but he, his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen? And he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. No one ever faced greater opposition or 
persecution than our Savior, and no one ever responded with greater grace and peace. We're not God. We're not even close. But the Spirit of the living God lives inside of us. It was, they didn't want, you know, David wasn't victorious because he had a great positive mental attitude. He was victorious because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? We don't need self-help books. We don't need a class that we need to take. We need to fall in love with Jesus and walk in the center of his will. Amen? They walked in intimate fellowship with God. Do you have intimate fellowship with God? There's nothing that the world or enemy can, wait, can, can come at us with if we're walking with the Lord. Can it be endured or overcome by the power of the Spirit and our knowledge of him? Notice it says at the end, who called us by glory and virtue. God called us as we came into contact with his glory and his holiness. His holiness should overwhelm us. His character, his love, his grace should overwhelm us. You all know that the last six months have been the toughest of my life. That being said, I'm closer to God than I've ever been. You know why? Because I desperately need him. Do you know that's a good place to be? You know, when we need him desperately, we hold on to him tightly. And to know him better is to love him more. And he's a faithful God, amen? He says, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. All things means all things. God has given us everything we need in the knowledge of him. We're running out of time. I don't understand why, why, we, why, why Christians would ever seek counsel from an unbeliever about anything. I don't get it. I don't get it. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? I don't need their counsel. They need mine. They need yours. We have Jesus. They don't. I used to sell, when I, you know, most, you know, I have a full-time job. I sell advertising. And the most difficult people to deal with are these people that, they're marriage, family, and child counselors. And I go meet with them, and, they, and I talk to them, and they can't make a decision about anything. And then I found they're married five times. You counsel people about marriage, you're married five times. Why would I ask you about anything? I don't understand. <laughs> Jesus is the answer. He's our hope. He's our peace. People get frustrated when we do counseling. I, all I do is use the Bible the whole time. Well, what, read what that says. What should you do? Read that. Well, I want to know what you think. What I think is irrelevant. What does the Bible say? We don't want to know what the Word of God says, but you won't know what the Word of God says if you're listening to Oprah and not reading your Bible. <laughs> Dr. Phil, got no answers. The Bible. Amen? The Word of God, the glory of His Word, the glory of the cross, the glory of His grace, His holiness, and our need for redemption. Salvation came as we were drawn to Him by His glory and His virtue. We're drawn to the Lord because of who He is. Amen? He's a definition of love. It's also a definition of holiness. Sanctification is a set-apart walk. It's produced as we continue to walk with Him and enter into intimate fellowship, begin to reflect His glory and His character, finally trusting in His promises. Look at verse 4. So we're called by His glory and His virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. The word precious is used there again. Something that cannot have, again, it's a vow that is, has a vow placed on it. It's, it's unbreakable. And God has given us all these precious promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. 
Promise after promise after promise that we can hold on to when the enemy lies to us, when the enemy attacks us, when the enemy tells us that we're, of, we're no good or that we're of no value. Again, how do you determine the value of something when someone's willing to pay for it? And how much did Jesus pay for you? Amen? This is how valuable you are. Nails did not hold him to the cross of Calvary. His love for you did. Again, there's, some have estimated there's over 30,000 promises. Uh, John Bunyan, who wrote the wrote Pilgrim's Progress, I love this quote. He said, the path of life is strewn with God's promises to the point that you can't take a step in any direction without standing on one. God's promises surround us. And because of that, we can trust Him. He is a faithful God. You know what else about God's promises? He keeps them. We don't always keep them. He does. Amen? God makes a promise. We get, it's done. It's finished. He's going to do it. Amen? Another promise is He's coming back. And we know that. Amen? And I'm ready. And by the way, you know, most believe that he's just waiting for that last person to get saved. And if that's you, let's get saved today. And we can all go to, we can have a agape feast in heaven this afternoon. Amen. Let's just do that. He says that through these, he says at the end of it, that through these, you may be partakers of his divine nature. When we give God our lives, we give them to the Lord. He comes into our, our lives and gives us a new and a divine nature. He sets up residence within us. He walks with us. He'll never leave us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The whole world may seem to be rejecting you, but God is the one who's come to dwell in you. There's such peace in not just knowing about God, but knowing him. There's such peace in walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and having intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. There's such peace in knowing the character of God and who he is and that we can trust in him. I was talking to Pastor Joshua right before the service. We were standing at the back when worship was starting. And I just said, can you imagine living this life without Jesus? I can't. And if you're here today and you're living it without Jesus, let today be the day of salvation. Amen? We're now going to prepare for a time of communion. And the Bible says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said that. They'd gathered together in the upper room. Jesus was about to be crucified. They're taking the Passover, you know, they're having the Passover meal. And they're, what they're doing is they're looking back to their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. And they're remembering how God delivered them. And how were they delivered? There was a, that final plague, if you will, that came upon them. And what was it? It was the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. They had to take the blood of the lamb and put, and put it on the doorpost and then the foot, and it was literally in the shape of a cross. And if you put the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, the angel of death would pass over. And they never fully grasped what that meant. And so as they enter that upper room, as Jesus is about to be crucified, he's about to be arrested and then crucified, he's going to take the elements and he's going to talk about what they mean now under the new covenant. So what I want to encourage you to do, the worship team is going to come on up. We're going to hand out the elements. I want you just to hold on to them. Three things I encourage you. Look back to the cross. As often as you do it, do in remembrance of him. Look within. Examine your own life. Is it, this could be a time of repentance if necessary, a time of restoration before the Lord, where you come with a confessing heart, where you say, Lord, I, I want to be in the center of your will. You know, if there's an area where you know you've been, you, you need to confess, do that. 
So look back to the cross, look within, but look forward. Because Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But he said, the next time you take this, you'll take it with me in heaven. So we're going to have communion in heaven one day. Amen? Lord, we pray that we, that we take this time, Lord, to remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. May we take these next few moments to examine our own hearts before you, to remember the cross of Calvary, to look at our own lives and where we stand with you, and then also to look forward to heaven. I pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Saved from sin and death. Saved from eternal torment. We're all sinners and we need to be forgiven. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm going to give you a chance right now just to confess, you know what? I want to make Jesus not just my Savior, but the Lord of my life. And I'm ready to surrender my life to him. If that's your desire, just raise your hand where you are and I'll pray with you right now. Anybody at all. Today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. Lord, we thank you as we go to this time of communion. Lord, may we do this in remembrance of you. It's a holy ordinance, Lord. May we take it serious. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.